It's episode 126 of Leading Ladies of Corpus Christi, and I'm sitting in a Zoom meeting with the founder, director, choreographer, and instructor of Corpus Christi Dance Collective, Jenny Espino. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness, girl. I think I told you this when I saw you at um, the BLM protest, because I finally got to talk to you. Um, I, You and I went to school together, and so I always saw you, like, kicking ass as a royalette at King High School. Like, always. Like, you just, you know, had that energy and, of course, the skill. So, like, everybody had their eyes on you, you know, whenever y'all were doing your, your routine. So that always stuck with me, even though I don't think we really interacted ever. But like, I always knew who you were in high school, you know. So it's amazing to see what you're doing now and that you are staying so true to what you're really good at. Um, so it seems to me that dance has always been a big part of your life. And would you say, I mean, this started at a very young age. Was it something that you started experimenting with like in high school? And how did that come to be? So I had a very typical like millennial introduction to dance via MTV uh, and music videos. So I would say like all of the early video vixens like Janet um, yes. and Madonna really uh, like shaped me uh, as a young one. Uh, and of course, I was very much enthralled by Michael Jackson. Um, and so very early on, I was definitely interested in dance. I would say that didn't become something that was like formalized in terms of training until um, probably like the next era of like really just like impactful music videos and choreographers came about, which was probably like early 2000s, like pop scene, right? Mm-hmm. So in sync, Britney, Christina, Backstreet, like, my jams right so like slow motion music videos i did this in the in the 90s too with like janet stuff like all of velvet rope tour yes I would like record it um on a vhs as one does in the 90s <laughs> uh and use the slow motion function to learn everything so true story i um learned all of Janet Jackson's Love It Rope Tour that my tiny brain could process. Much of it I probably should not have learned at the age that I did. And I actually was hired to do, um, to dance with a a drag queen uh, several years back. And I learned everything reversed because I was too young to understand, like, oh, you have to reverse everything. You have, you can't mirror it. Oh, see, and that I wouldn't I have, have thought to, that. I mean, I've already even, you know what I mean? Uh, Considered that. Who does when they're nine and ten, or, you know, however old, trying to learn choreography, slow motion off of a VCR? Um, and so I had to reverse everything that I had been doing for years when I had learned it off of that. At any rate, um, <laughs> I guess, like, after the early, like, pop phase and, like, Darren Henson, Fatima Robinson, uh, Wade Robson, like, that era of choreographers, uh, Tina Landon that I was, like, very obsessed with and, uh, like, invested in, uh, that's when I actually started um, figuring out how to dance um, and taking classes formally. So it's probably... Um, yeah, I was in middle school. When you started taking formal classes? Yes, ma'am. Wow. I mean, so then and there, so did you feel like, 
Because I know whenever I was in middle school, like crazy insecure, right? About, you know, what I was good at or not good at. But did you just know I'm I'm good at this? Like I, I have it, the rhythm or the, the ability to pick it up quickly. Uh, I just didn't care. Is the thing. <laughs> like I I didn't have any concept of shame yet, I don't think. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, and I was just like in it to win it. So for me, especially in terms of like learning stuff off of the TV, I was just like convinced. I was like, I look just like them. I know I do. Um, we all need that kind of confidence. <laughs> Because as an adult, I could not feel different, like, more differently. Um, like, I am always so, like, and I think it's now because, like, I have, um, like, a trained eye and lens with which to look at dance. So, mm-hmm. like, understanding nuance, texture, and quality of movement is, like, something I'm attuned to now. And for me then, it was really just lines. And I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be able to match the lines. Like, whatever, it's fine. Right. Um, and that's what a lot of like commercial dance is anyway, is just like lines, um, and timing. And, uh, I kind of wish I still had an untrained eye and brain in that regard. Really? I feel like it would make me more like daring as a creator. Interesting. Um, instead of like doing things within, um, you know, like categories and boxes. Um, and so... I, I really think that that hinders a lot of creative minds as feeling like a desperate need to like stay true to a genre or um, yeah, operate within the confines of uh, yeah, your discipline, right? Um, and so that is so like interesting. That come with both of those things. <laughs> but that that's like I really um, like that perspective, you know, because with formal teaching does come that almost. Uh, like, I don't want to say boxed in, because I feel like dancing doesn't necessarily fall into that. Sure. But but it's almost like, okay, like, you know, like you said, you have to stay, you attempt to stay so true to the style or something. That's very interesting. Yeah. And I think there obviously are, there's merit to that, because in terms of, like, formal training, a lot of it isn't just this aesthetic. Like, a lot of it is to ensure, like, dancers have proper alignment, and they're not hurting themselves, and that they're, you know, looking out for their long-term you know, livelihood in terms of using our bodies, you know, there's a lot you can do and there's a lot I have done um, to really like put a damper on your ability to dance at a hundred percent for as long as you'd like to. So a lot of the technical stuff is actually very important and does have value. Um, Like I said, isn't merely aesthetic, um, but in terms of like creative processes, um, yeah, I, I do think that a lot of us really get in our heads um, in terms of wanting to stay true to styles. And I think there are things where you're going to want to, um, you know, have respect for an art form. I, I think especially right now with everyone like playing with styles like voguing and whacking that come from like marginalized communities, mm-hmm. I think it is absolutely very important to like know your shit when you're yep. um, introducing those styles, especially if you're teaching kids, like you have a responsibility to talk about where art forms come from, particularly in those instances where they are birthed out of um, oppressed communities. Yes. Uh, but overall, I, I do think that a lot of the like rigidity in, in dance and that has been ingrained in me as a result of training um, is a hindrance more often than not. 
Yeah, I think most people. So uh, the, I, I'm 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 gonna attempt to speak for most people when I'm actually just referencing myself. Sure. Whenever you're thinking about dance, right? I think my my thought process goes to like ballet. And then like jazz. So when you think about little girls learning dance, um, th those sure. are the biggies. And then of course, you know, ballet has the kind of the stereotype of everybody being like super, super strict, really hardcore. Like you better, you know, follow it to a T in, in terms of technique and form exactly. And it's interesting to me that like now it's progressed in a way to where, I mean, you're teaching things. There's a whole list of the kind of dance that you're teaching. It's like jazz funk drill team uh hip-hop i mean now it's like expanded and like you said you have a responsibility as someone who's te learning and teaching to make sure that you're representing you know and uh establishing where this originated from as you're passing it on to other people like that's huge and what would you say is your what was the type of dance or the dance style that you leaned toward most when you were younger? Um, when I was younger, I very much uh, favored, I guess, just the commercial dance, which I, I guess the closest thing we can umbrella that under would be hip hop. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it certainly uh, takes from hip hop a whole bunch. Uh, and that was just my the most accessible thing, right? Is because it's it's on MTV. It's very easy to record a Britney Spears video and then learn that choreography in slow motion. At least in terms of the way my brain works now, I I have such a hard time. Like I took so many Zoom classes um, at the beginning of quarantine, and actually I've I've kept that up more or less since um, because we usually go to conventions several times a year. So I'm in class all year still. Um, both teachers' classes and in class with my kids, um, learning and trying to absorb constantly, right? Um, and so I I'm just like, how did I do this? <laughs> how did I, I, it's like a skill set that I've lost. Um, not entirely, but it's so much harder to learn over video, even when people are teaching for me. Um, there's something about it that, like, taking those Zoom classes early into quarantine that very much felt like me in front of my TV trying to learn Wow. Um, the choreography to It's Gonna Be Me or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gonna Be Me? <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, we no, talking no. About? Uh, the, oh. the style that you most gravitated toward, and that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and I, and I think, as I started competing in high school, I really, um, and as I started having more emotions, I really connected with Miracle. And that was um, more or less at the heyday of like contemporary becoming a thing. So for me mm -hmm. now, and certainly um, as I entered adulthood, contemporary really became it for me because it's a hybrid dance form. So it borrows from essentially any style of dance you like, right? And again, this is like an umbrella term. Yeah. I'm using it very loosely. But for me, contemporary, I feel like is where I feel the most freedom creatively mm -hmm. uh, because I can borrow from so many different styles and because it does leave so much room to express like the entire um, like dearth of human experience, of the human experience, right? So you can... And again, I, I, I think that it is possible to do that with any dance style. So I don't want to sit 
say that you can't express any sort of emotion or, you know, the whole spectrum of the human experience with like hip hop or anything else, for instance. I just I mean, for me, in terms of my creative process, I feel like it's, it's the easiest form for me personally to express that. I've seen other choreographers do some really incredible things um, with other styles, and I'm always amazed by that. Uh, but yeah, in, in terms of my process, I feel like contemporary really uh, leaves the most room for me to figure out um, what it is I'm trying to communicate to an audience. I love that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, anybody determining like which which creative outlet, you know, most resonates with me. And it sounds like contemporary is that for you. I also think it's really great that even as an instructor, you are still continuing your education on different techniques. So is there I mean, I imagine because to me, dance is just such like a powerful, popular method of expressing yourself. Like, I think everybody wishes they could dance. So do you feel like it's one of those situations where you're, you know, trying to kind of keep up with like new ways of, of uh, expressing different styles. Like I feel like I would constantly be trying to keep up. I mean, with TikTok, I mean, that, that this is social media, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like TikTok so, dances and social media dances. Sure. So for me, like I, I, I think there's like a huge divide in the dance education community over whether like for sure. TikTok is good or like, oh, for me, I think anything that democratizes dance and learning and creating is a good thing. Yes, right? I uh, love that. So it, it, it's mixed, right? Because I think sometimes I will watch things and I will be like, ah, your ankles, your knees. Uh, right? I have like a visceral response to like poor technique in that regard, that in, in injury prevention, right? And, and I think that's where like dancers could benefit from getting themselves into a studio, but overall, um, I think it's ridiculous, especially when it comes to, to hip hop uh, and that sort of movement for anyone to not think that it is a positive thing that, mm -hmm. you know, people everywhere are creating movement, learning movement, sharing movement. Like there's something so moving about seeing so many videos of dancers interpret the same movement in more than one way yes it, even if it's it's savage like even if dancers are <laughs> even something as like silly as that seeing so many different people in so many different places do the same choreography interpret it differently right mm -hmm. um it's incredible right that that process of democratizing dance and learning and creating is so cool uh for me i think it's really important for me to learn on two fronts like one is I've got to be able to keep up with what's current, right? Like, not to say that, like, with what's trending, though I don't think that that's inconsequential, right? I mm -hmm. think if I'm trying to meet dancers where they're at and they're overwhelmingly Zoomers and younger, <laughs> um, I've got to be able to keep them engaged. So how do I find a balance between teaching fundamentals, teaching the things that I think are really valuable uh, to dancers, obviously teaching them things about like injury prevention and that to me is so injury. important and I think not even I did that yeah. didn't even cross my mind as something that would be taught in a dance class and then as you're saying it it makes perfect sense sure so like how do I balance out those fundamentals but also keep them engaged with movement that interests them and that they're already doing and experimenting with and styles that they're already interested in right uh, and then on the other front is that I'm always trying to keep up 
as an educator, right? What are what approaches am I taking to pedagogy, right? Because my job is not just to like be a good dancer. Uh, some people may not even think that I am, you know, that's like subjective, right? So that's not um, my only job is to like be able to dance or be able to create even. I also have to think like, what are the best approaches to teaching constantly? Um, and how do I best serve all of these different types of learners, especially right now that I have dancers who are, are still online mm -hmm. and virtually dancers in the studio, right? How, how can I best, you know, serve them, right? So, so I think that those are the two biggest things is like, how do I um, create and teach things that they're interested in, balance that out with the things that they think are more boring or whatever yes. that are important to them in yes. terms of shaping them as dancers and learners and all of that. And how do I also address their needs and continue to like, learn how to be a better teacher. Why, well, to me, the proof in your teaching ability and your ability to engage, you know, the youngsters is very, very evident. I mean, people just adore your, the collective. Um, seeing, like, all, all the classes of, like, the, the, the really young girls, you know, and, like, ma making, like, the squad kind of thing and, like, the practices and just you interacting with them and chore choreographing them, I mean, you can just tell how invested you are and, and they want to hear what you have to say. And that to me is such a true telling of an instructor, you know, you know, in, in terms of like how they influence their students, because people who have learned from you only have like the most amazing things to say. And like I said, just being like a bystander observing, it's so clear. So whatever you're doing, I think. I mean, no, I know it's working. And so do you feel like your ability to interact with, because I, you know, you, like I said, you and I are the same age. And so at times I can feel like it's a little bit difficult to, you know, get on the same page as, as you know, kids younger than me. And um, do you feel that that just comes naturally to you? Uh, yeah, I feel like I've always talked to kids, not like they're adults, but it's always been really important to me not to like patronize or condescend. I, I don't know why I have such vivid memories of the way people spoke to me growing up, uh, but I do. Uh, and I really never liked anyone talking to me like I was a baby. I don't know what that says about me, but I always really loathed that feeling because um, even though we know there's such a, like, large difference between the way you are as an adult, like, for kids, all they know is their experience. All they know is that things can be hard for them, too, right? Because it's all they know. <laughs> and so yes. when someone is talking to them like they don't know something and, like, you know, like, they have so much to learn about life, even if that's true it weighs so heavily on them in ways that I don't think most adults consider because, again, all adults know is their experience. And they've already been seven. Mm -hmm. They've already been 11. Mm -hmm. They've already been 17. So they've already lived through that. But it's like also, one, you lived through that at a different time. Two, everyone experiences all of those ages differently. Yes. Right? And everyone's experience is so unique and wildly different 
And it's impossible for us to know what all of these kids are going through, especially during a pandemic. Oh, but my like gosh. the last thing they need is for someone to talk to them like they don't know anything, right? Uh, so for me, it's always just been really important for me to engage with my students and with kids and young people, uh, like where they're at and their experience has value and it means something, even if they haven't experienced everything. I right? love that. I love that. That's so important to note. Yeah, that's huge. I, uh, I appreciate that because like you said, I think it's easy for adults who've already been there, done that to kind of uh, negate what they're experiencing or, or minimize it, you know, um, and that makes a lot of sense for why you're able to interact with your students the way that you do. Uh, so how did you transition from because in middle school, you said you started getting formal teaching and then if, did that also carry over into high school? And then when did you make the choice? Or I guess, I'm not even sure how to ask this question. When did it go from you learning to you choreographing? Because I feel like those are, those are different. Sure. Um, so I started getting more formal training and um, like being in the studio. And I started creating pretty much since forever. I've always like made up little dances. I think I started like creating with the purpose of like performing or other people performing uh, my choreography in high school and then um, that is so I cool that's, that's so cool <laughs> uh, and then I guess like started being actually paid to do that and not being like a, a thing right um, when did that start after graduating okay uh, so I man I'm really having to like you think you would remember everything in place? I'm the worst. <laughs> I don't. I'm the worst with dates and years. Like it, it's terrible. I I'm totally always get. like steel trap, steel trap, <laughs> and then I can't remember what I taught a week ago. I have to film everything now because I will forget what I teach from one week to the next. Thank God for technology. I don't yes. know if I ever did it without a smartphone. That's amazing um, that you I adapted though. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I can't. I teach so many classes a week. And, like, right now I'm setting, like, a dozen solos uh, or, like, duos, trios. Like, and then we're starting – we're in competition season and we're starting showcase season. So, like, our this is what we call our recital. It's not really a recital. Um, and so I have, like, all of these pieces floating around in my brain. And I'm, I have to have video or else – all of them melt into like one mm -hmm. giant nebulous form. Uh, at any rate, I I started teaching shortly after graduating. I mean, pretty much right out the gate. And then I went on tour with a friend of mine from Corpus, Silmion, yes. who uh, many people in Corpus Christi will know of Wiggle Jiggle fame, but also <laughs> other things. Um, I played at that music video for him too. Anyway, I love him. I've known him forever. That fam, I used to live at his house. His parents are the best people on this planet. Wow. Um, shout out to Seafood and Sonia. Um, anyway, he, he did a little mini like West Coast Colorado tour. I do not remember where we went. All of this feels like a lifetime ago. Yes. Uh, and then my watch thinks I'm talking to it because everything's black mirror. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we settled in L.A. for like a month, I want to say. And I immediately was like, I hate this. Really? I'm not built for this. I do not want to be a professional dancer. Get me on the next flight home. Really? Uh, I Yes. I'm wow. a home, like. So the thing about me is that a lot of people think I'm very extroverted because when I'm out, I do like, and especially since like I am an organizer also, yes. like I have to be able to interact with people. And I love doing that. I am a people person at my core, but it is because I am able to go home and be by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have lived by myself for most of my adult life. And I'm able to just like recharge that way when I'm around other people, I am not insufferable. <laughs> that is so self-aware. I love it. Like, I, I have to, I have to have alone time. And so I'm in, we're in a hotel room. We're sharing with like three other people. We're in, I don't even remember what kind of vehicle we're in, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a big budget tour or anything. We didn't have like a van, like a, Bus. Like a bus or anything. So we're all just like spending endless time together. And even though like some of the best memories of my life of my life are from that period of time, I just remember being like, I miss my mom, I miss my nephew, I miss my sisters, I miss my family, I miss of my course, friends. Yes. I can't, you know, and for me, like I love living in Corpus. Uh, with me too. all of my heart and soul. I am Corpus to my core. Yep. But I love, once again, I love living in Corpus because I typically leave once or twice a month. Like I ha- or, I mean, there are some months where I leave every weekend. Like I have to be able to recharge, mm-hmm. especially since so many of my loved ones are sprawled across, you know, the country and the state. Uh, it is why living in Corpus is my preference. So the pandemic really put a damper on yeah. my mental health for that reason, if nothing else. Damn it. Uh, but that is when I realized that I am not built for being a professional dancer because I hate LA. I like I like visiting LA now. I, I've mm-hmm. gone out there. My best friend lives there. So I've gone out there. Um, and I've got some old students who live out there that I usually try to meet up with. I like going out there and taking class and going to Disney and eating really good vegan food. Uh, but I tap out in LA after like five days. I'm yeah. Like, I, gotta get, I gotta go home. And so I came home and that's when I like went back to school. I started teaching. Um, and I have not missed that era since I've done a few, um, like professional dance things for like friends mm-hmm. or for drag queens or other like pageant people in the area. Uh, but for the most part, I really try to like, if it's video work, I try to stay behind the camera. If yeah. Live performances. I try to stay off stage. Like you really have to convince me and beg me uh, to do anything <laughs> you can ask. Um, I knew it. I knew you were going to say that because I'm all, uh, I saw you. (laughs) Listen, Quentin is my child, was one of my old students and, and uh, knows I would do anything for them. Like I would do anything for Quentin and Quentin still had to beg me to do that music video. Uh, cause I, I was like, I do not want to do it. I will look like, hello, fellow children, you know, like, (laughs) But alas, there we were. Yes. 
Oh my God, that's. So for the uh, most part, I have I have tried to avoid doing anything on stage or behind the camera outside of very rare instances <laughs> since I got back from Los Angeles. <laughs> and when was that? Uh, because I saw that you went on tour and then briefly stayed in LA and then ended up coming back. So how long ago was that? Are you asking me to do math? I know. I'm sorry. I just realized we like sometime between now <laughs> and after high school. Are you, are you asking me to do math and also <laughs> reveal my age, which is like an ongoing debate within the, at the studio. Um, like my, I have like a whole group of dancers that are convinced that I'm like in my early twenties, which I am quite apparently not. Uh, oh, I would disagree with that <laughs> for sure. Uh, like all, well, all of my bones <laughs> know how old I am. Um, uh, that was, what year did Mariah Carey's We Belong Together come out? It was probably oh. around then that I settled back into Corpus. I totally pulled that year out of my ass. I have no idea. Sure. Uh, so, okay. I remember that song being on the radio all of the time. And I am a literal Mariah Carey fan. Um, and I was like, get this song off, off of the radio immediately. Because it was on constantly. Yes, yes. I mean, all you have to do is say it. The song just instantly starts playing in my head. Like, everybody Truly. is familiar with that song. So... Okay, so you're back in Corpus and you you realize, you know what, being a, a professional dancer and, you know, being on tour is not where I'm at. So what made you decide to do teaching? Because I feel like teaching is so, it's very rewarding, but it is work. And so what made you decide, oh, like, you know what, let's do this. So much work. And, it's, and I don't want to, like, trivialize how, like, hard it is to teach, um, like, history or English or anything else, but, like... You don't, and they do create lesson plans, obviously, but, like, history is history. Like, there's only so many new things we learn about what's already happened, you yep. know? Mm -hmm. And, again, I know that, like, I am very much over, oversimplifying. Um, so, uh, all respect to history and English teachers, right? I know the English language evolves, lots of new things, and uh, certainly approaches to teaching. So, I am absolutely positively not trying to trivialize that. Uh, but like I have to create something different every time I teach. Like I yes, and I you know I can teach like old combinations, but they're only relevant and fun for so long. You know they don't they don't get back into being interesting until they're throwback. Right? Mm -hmm, if you teach mm -hmm. something from a few years ago, it's already like not trending anymore. Yeah. Depending on the style of dance we're talking about, right? Uh, so like I have to create what I'm teaching, and of course I have like all of these things that I can pull from, obviously, and like vocabulary that I can pull from to use when I'm teaching. But like I don't get to just show up and <laughs> be like, okay, here's here's what we're doing. Yep. It's already set. It's the same so, thing like, I, I taught I last year and the year before, that. and yeah. Sure. Uh, but <laughs> I I originally just started doing it because I was like, okay, well, I have to work, right? <laughs> Clearly, mm -hmm. uh, what's going to give me a schedule that I want? And teaching does teach, or at least at the time, and in general, typically more than minimum wage, because, I mean, uh, unless you're teaching at a really terrible studio, typically what you're making is about triple the minimum wage. So Wow, that's as, great. 
as like a young person, I'm like incredible. I can work fewer hours. This gives me more time um, at, that I had been, or I mean, I've been organizing since I was a teenager, right? But like seriously, essentially since I moved back, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I was like, I have more time to be able to organize. And he had just kind of founded Tacos Not Bombs. Yes, too. I'm so glad so, you're bringing this up because, yeah, your organizing in the community is just so incredible. I mean, the Tacos Not Bombs, the mutual aid is a part of DSA. Like, I mean, incredible. Like, so, yeah, t- talk a little bit more about the talk, the organizing. I know you're in the middle of sharing, like, something yeah. completely different, but yeah, I, I mean, really it's, it's like this. Like- it's all very much one story, and mm-hmm. I think that kind of comes through in, like, the mission statement and the ethos of Corpus Christi Dance Collective um, in terms of the way that I've evolved as a teacher and director. Like, all of those things are, to me, very much one story. Like, I certainly don't show up at the studio and, like, lecture people on Marxism or anything, especially since they're children. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in terms of like who my being, like who I am as a person, like that story is very much like cross pollinated in every way possible. Uh, yeah. So when I came back, I was mostly uh, doing anti-death penalty organizing at the time because I grew up Catholic. So that was my first in really is I started reading stuff by his sister Helen Frejean and that led me into um, reading stuff about uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal and Asada Shakur and other Panthers. Uh, and so all of that kind of just burst with the themes in terms of everything else. Uh, so for me, it started off as like a very radical approach to like viewing life and the sanctity of life, right? Um, and viewing the death penalty as abhorrent through that lens as a Catholic. Um, and it's been a while since I've identified as Catholic, but I will always be eternally grateful for um, the nuns at Incarnate Ward. Mm. And um, <laughs> uh, shout out to Jim O'Leary, rest in peace. He's just like this very dear old man who used to go to the courthouse every single Monday. And it was just a group of us, like young punks. <laughs> dummies honestly at the time who would go meet up with this like precious precious catholic old man every monday uh to wow talk to people about ending the death penalty at the courthouse uh we'd like spend the night at each other's houses on sunday night and wake up at the ass crack of dawn um and and go, go out there at like six in the morning uh and then we'd go to Linda's after for tacos because it's when they had us believing that their tortillas were vegan. They are not, if you're wondering. What? People told us they were. Oh, no. Um, it's okay. It'd be like that. I grew up, my my grandmother had a taco stand, so I know I know how it goes when there are children working. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, totally. There's no larding. Uh, that's not an important part of the story. It's an important part of my story. It's <laughs> an <laughs> important part of this Um yeah, and, and so that was my earliest, um, like, introduction to organizing uh, here in Corpus. And then we were <laughs> dumpstering so much food uh, for ourselves <laughs> from, like, at the time, uh, Sun Harvest at Sprouts, yes, yeah, right? Yes. And, like, places like My Favorite Muffin. And then I think someone saw one of my friends 
um, Jason, also rest in peace, also a Mustang. Um, oh, wow. Also King alumni. Uh, shout out to Jason Thomas. Uh, they saw him and were like, hey, if you want this, we can start boxing it up. That way you don't actually have to, like, dumpster through things. Wow. And it'll be, like, you know, whatever. You won't have to, like, go home and, like, meticulously clean all this produce. Uh, and so we were like, oh, my gosh, we have so much food now. Uh, so that's when we started originally with the intention of, like, being affiliated with Food food Not Bombs, um, which is, like, a mostly, um, like, anarcho organization that that feeds people on the premise of, like, we waste so much with all of the waste coming from, you know, places like Sprouts or Sun Harvest mm-hmm. and My Favorite Muffin, um, we could feed everyone easily. That there's, you know, it is a myth that there is a shortage of, yes. of resources and yes. food on this planet. We waste so much. On the, the other part of that, which is, really important to me is that with the amount that we spend on war, we could feed everyone. We Mm -hmm. could house everyone. Right. And so we came back and we came back, um, uh, after kind of like having those conversations and run-ins with people at my favorite muffin and sun harvest we're like we have all of this food now and we we're just doing it because we're broke and we're trying to feed ourselves and we're young and punk and stupid or whatever like we could start feeding people and so we did we started feeding people two times a week wow. um what's the really colorful underpass agnes mm-hmm. right there mm-hmm. and we'd be dodging cops every single week <laughs> isn't that wild because, that you would have to dodge cops to be oh, giving food God, out that is wild nightmare. it was a nightmare and so we'd uh, we had a bunch of dishes i don't know where we got them from many of them were gotten through <laughs> less than legal means uh <laughs> everyone was young and stupid at the time uh but we had all of this like reusable um like dishes and stuff. So we do dishes every thing, twice a week, so many dishes, right? And then haul everything out there and do like feeding. Uh, I moved um, at some point in the story. And when I came back, Tacos Not Bombs was like still alive. They definitely have like a different approach to things now. It's not my place to like have any say on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think what they're doing is awesome. Um, it's definitely different than, you know, like what we're doing when it originated here. Uh, but yeah, we just realized we were making tacos every week. So we're like, let's just call this tacos, not bombs. Cause we're never actually going to like, you know, become, a, and I don't think there's like a whole lot we have to do to become a food, not bombs yeah. officially or whatever. Uh, but we weren't going to do it. <laughs> so we're like, let's just do our own thing and we'll make tacos every week and call it a day. I love it though. That's so good. And so, yeah, so you started teaching and you realized that you would have the time to do what you love, which was the teaching and the dance, mm-hmm. in addition to organizing. And that's how the schedule, mm-hmm. you know, became ideal for you. So then when, yeah. because at this point, you're working in someone else's studio, right? Mm-hmm. And so when did so you, I, oh, go for it. No, go ahead, finish. Oh, well, when did you decide, like, you know what, I'm ready to, to found my own collective? Sure. So I assistant directed at Avant for, once again, 
how does time work? <laughs> for uh, some time. For, for almost a decade, I want to say. Wow. Um, and I loved my time there. And, and I know a lot of people ask me all the time because Evan Off has a really good reputation in town, like what my experience out of Mont was. And um, it's mixed for sure. But uh, I, I look back very fondly on those years in terms of like really having the ability to become the sort of teacher that I want to um, and having a place and the freedom to do that. I'm also like, I'm a Vaunt trained too. So like as a dancer for me, I'm like, I had my up and up there. Um, I mean, I started at a different studio, but in terms of the best training that I've ever gotten, I got there. You know? And in terms of becoming a teacher, you know, like I said, I really had the freedom to become the sort of teacher and choreographer that I, that I wanted to be. So I will always be grateful uh, for that time there. I will always you know, tell people that like Avant made me both as a dancer and as a teacher. Wow. I definitely at some point realized that I was very much um, in that. I mean, I'm invested in, I don't do anything if I'm not invested in it because I just, I can't fake. Yes. <laughs> I can't fake being like <laughs> interested in something. It's why I would be really bad in the service industry. Like I have it's so it's so hard for me to like perform yes. interest and investment. Well, that's that's authenticity <laughs> so, right there, Jenny. That's what that is. <laughs> but it, it, yeah, I mean, it definitely bites me in the ass sometimes. But you know, at, at some point, I did just realize like I'm putting so much into this, and for me, I've always had um, like an interest in in making sure that dance is accessible to everyone. Like, I love I that having to fundraise for every costume, every pair of tights. Um, you know, I, I start, part of why I started teaching is because I was like, I cannot afford to take class. You know, um, I've got to teach somewhere. And so if I teach, then, you know, I'll be able to take class and I won't have to pay for it. Uh, that was like one of the biggest motivators. To, and smart. <laughs> to, to That's smart. <laughs> because, a tuition at most studios, if you're taking unlimited classes, is easily anywhere from 250 to 400 dollars, depending on a month. Uh, a month, you know. Wow. Which for me, when I was in my early 20s, I was paying 450 in a rent a month for like a one bedroom. By yeah. Myself. Yeah. And I was like, I can't pay tuition and pay for an apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely not, and I can't not dance. So, like, those were the things that really shaped me, but it, it, it also meant that I have this very mixed feeling constantly about, like, what sort of dancers are able to afford yes. to, to learn, right, and to compete also, and obviously, teaching is labor, right, choreographing for is labor, sure. I definitely <laughs> think people need to be paid for their labor, but I also think that, like, countries have better models of, like, what funding arts looks like and those things should be state funded yes in my opinion and I think that there's a lot of places that I could point to that have done this and we don't do it at all but <laughs> there are a lot of places that I could point to that, that could do, do this better than us um but since we don't have state funded arts and dance programs in any like meaningful capacity right we could point to all of these anomalies and 
places that are getting grants that are federally funded and things like that, we so, so the cows come home. But in terms of like on a mass scale across the board, those things are not priorities mm-hmm. to, to this country, right? Mm-hmm. And to this system. And so, you know, that's always been something I'm very interested in. I also have always been really um, interested in like, how do we prepare uh, learners for the real world as dancers, right? And the majority of that work is video work at this point, for better or worse, right? Um, Most professional dance is video work. Increasingly, my dancers who are at universities now are also like their finals are often like video work. It's, It's so much. So for me, I'm like competitive dance has never been an interest for me. The only reason my kids compete is because it's a goal to them. Mm-hmm. I have been long been uh, somewhat checked out of the competitive dance world. Like most of our competition pieces, I hire or we hire outside choreographers to come in and set them because I'm like, I don't want to set for this because yeah. you have time restrictions. You've got to be able to check off all the boxes. Yes. Of the things that, that it's very structured. For me as a creator, like, I, it's just, I, I hate it. <laughs> I do it because it's what my kids want to do, mm-hmm. but it, it's something that I only do because it's something that they like. The second it starts becoming something that's a stressor to them, the second it starts becoming something that they feel like they have to win every time or they feel like they have to get a certain score every time, I'm done. I'm yes. out. And my kids know that. I'm like, as long as this is something you like, and I think that's part of why they like competing is because or they're still invested in it is because there's like no pressure from you here's a trophy (laughs) here's a trophy go put it with the other ones and they're scraping them all white you won't know what's what That's not true. Well, I put on the bottom what they are. <laughs> but it's also like you said, I mean, you can't you can't pretend to be invested in something. You can't pretend to be interested in something you're not invested in. But at the same yeah. time, I love that you're like, you know what? While I'm not going to be the one to spearhead this campaign, I will help you get get there. And uh, yeah, that says a lot for you as an instructor. Um, what and is usually now they're just um, simply the best. <laughs> Uh, what do you has been the most rewarding experience teaching all these individuals? Because I mean, the age range is pretty wide, right? I mean, you're teaching from like super young to high school, right? Yeah. So normally it's toddler to adult. Mm-hmm. Um, during the pandemic, we nixed the toddler classes because there's no way to keep a mask and they do not do well virtually. So I very much miss our toddlers. <laughs> So our youngest right now is five. Uh, I don't teach adult classes very often because as we've already established, I'm very bad at like faking it. Yeah. And adults really need to be performed to. Yes. And when I'm teaching my kids, I don't have to perform for them. Like they come to class because they're engaged in the learning process. Adult classes, and of course, as with everything, can point to exceptions to this. Like they're there to have fun, which I think is is great and important, but they're also very bad listeners. Really? Uh, they're they're already like outside of school age, so oh. they don't especially since I'm so short, everyone thinks I'm that sounds like a flex, it's not. <laughs> um, but it, they do 
really bad with oftentimes with taking instruction. I taught, so we re-debuted the adult hip hop class last year before the pandemic ended. And I, we had 57 people show up. Wow. Adults show up. And it was one of the hardest classes I've ever taught. Um, because adults are simply just so hard to get quiet. Yeah, really? That group of adults were, because again, like they came ready to have fun. Mm-hmm. They were like, yeah, I brought eight of my best friends. Oh. And they're going to try to like Instagram live the whole thing. Oh, and oh, I'm no. going to record every second of class. And since I'm bad at performing patient, I'm just like, y'all don't have to be quiet or else we're not going to get this class, mm-hmm. which is like not what people want to hear or be told. But also like, I'm trying to teach. Why are you talking? Yes. Oh my um, gosh. That grown. would drive me up the wall. And A, it's not a problem I have with my kids typically. B, when I do, it's really easy like to course correct, I feel like partially because it's easier for me to be patient with kids because I'm like, oh, they don't know better, obviously. Or like, it's very easy for me to offer that grace to kids. Yeah. For adults, I'm like, there is no way you don't know better. There's yes. no way. There's no excuse. Um, so I so I haven't, I've only taught a couple of adult classes since we've, we've gone back in person because I just, I can't be responsible for like worrying about the behavior of adults uh, they also, like, tend to have this, like, attitude, like, if they can't do it, then there's no merit to, like, coming to class. And it's like, no, that's how, like, literally anything is, is, like, you're bad at it until you're good at it. Yep. Um, but also, maybe you'll never be good at it, and you just had fun because you did this dance to an Ice Cube song that you like. Mm-hmm. And that's also good enough, too. Right? Yes, like, yes. But, and I think that's a harder thing to explain adults like they get frustrated much more easily uh but they're also worse at asking questions so then they just don't learn anything for like a whole hour and then are confused as to why (laughs) i would never Uh, have thought that is so interesting (laughs) very interesting yeah because like wild because like you said you're literally teaching like the entire gradient of age ranges so that's that's very interesting and not what i expected but after (laughs) you say it it makes perfect sense uh is there a piece that you've choreographed that you are just like insanely proud of like you you think back on it and you're like wow like that that was a powerful piece um Oh God, again, just like flipping through the Rolodex. Um, I choreographed a hip hop piece called By Any Means. Um, I don't know, maybe in 2013 or 14, probably. And it is a piece that people still approach me about constantly. Wow. Um, And so I would say like that piece, Oh, and there's a piece I choreographed the next year uh, called Flawless that I feel like had a similar impact on people. And so for those reasons, because, uh, like, you know, like, people can create for different reasons. And I'm not the type of person to be like, well, I create for myself and myself only. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's just not how I create. Uh, and so for that reason, those pieces have always 
held a whole lot of value to me because mm-hmm. of how they were responded to by others. Uh, there um, is a piece of which I can't remember a single phrase that I created or co-created with um, Charles Roy, who's one of my former students and is also just like, a very esteemed choreographer and dancer in his own right in like every possible way. Um, he does art contemporary uh, competition choreography, Mr. Art Jazz choreography. Uh, I, I trust him with everything in me. He graduated from uh, Loyola wow. with a degree in dance. Uh, love him. What a star. Uh, we created a, a contemporary piece, The Strange Fruit. And Ooh. I just and I remember nothing other than the feeling that that engendered, engendered to me. And it was at a time in which I was doing anti-death penalty work. So it especially held so much value and importance to me. So I will always remember that feeling of, um, and we performed that together too. So um, I will always remember the feeling that that, that, that left me with as a performer uh, which is something I don't do very often, you know, uh, and as a creator. There are a few pieces that I'm working on this year for our showcase that hold a lot of value um, to me. And so our end of year showcase isn't like a recital. So our winter showcase is like, well, not this year, but is in person. And it's typically like what people think of when they think of a dance recital. Our end of year showcase is video work. Okay. So every class, instead of um, learning a piece for stage, learns a piece for video, right? And so we costume everything, we theme wow. everything. We pick a location for everything. Um, we have a professional cinematographer one also one of my old students Aaron Garcia who uh runs Primera Luz Media does all of our video work for us for that and so each class shoots their own video and then at the end of the year again not this year we will have to do a different like streaming option or something uh but usually (laughs) we uh do like a whole red carpet event at the Alamo Draft House wow it's like them it's like all of their very cool videos that they've recorded um, and that are all like incredibly unique. Oh, so y'all have like showings. They get to watch themselves on the big screen. Wow, that's cool. That is a very cool yeah, experience. Yeah, it's so cool. They get like dressed up. The parents like go all out. The kids go all out. Um, it's like a big deal. And then we always have to do like a second one because the first one always sells out in like a few hours. Um and we also do like bloopers and there's like we do little interviews with the kids too so like between everything there's yeah like little interviews with the kids and stuff and so they get to talk about their year and their experiences and we'll interview them about like really cool things that happen like they've done like they did videos for um dusty and one year a bunch of our i choreographed something for the mixtape tour came through Mm -hmm. and so choreographed something for new kids on the block. And so the kids, I saw that, that was awesome. We interviewed them about that experience and about them not knowing, like 
man, that was such a wild experience because like none of them, I mean, they kind of like had vague ideas of like who salt and pepper were, but like the people in the dressing room next to us were like playing loud music. At one point, everyone was like doing their makeup. They went next door to like see what was going on. And I went back, I went to the dressing room next door to check on them because the door was open. It wasn't like I was intruding on anything. Right. And they're like chilling with naughty by nature. And I'm like, do y'all whoa and so i just like was like okay it's time to um you know get get warm and so i brought them back into our dressing room i was like i have no idea what was just happening do you and they're like what i was like y'all's not even by nature (laughs) oh (laughs) i just like lost it entirely uh anyway so we like interviewed them about that and we had like a little like reel with like the like performance clips. So we'll do like special stuff like that. So it's not just like dancing the whole time with the parents, mm-hmm. which the parents really experience. I mean, the parents really appreciate. Yes. Um, oh my goodness. Because it's, it's for even people who like dance, sometimes it's hard to sit still for two hours of it. Yeah. Um, and so it's nice to be able to break it up. Um, and so, yeah, during an omission, we'll usually like have a bunch of like cool interviews and blooper reels and, fun highlights from the year up, which is really fun. So there's a, there are a few pretty heavy um, pieces that I'm working on this year that I'm really excited about putting out there um, and that are really personal and meaningful to me. Uh, Yeah. I'm, and those are, those are the things that like most clearly come up. That's so, yeah, I, I uh, am excited for you. And it has to be so fulfilling to just like see the year kind of wrapped up in that kind of way. Or I don't know, the season. I don't know how you reference it. Sure. Um, so for people who want to be involved with the Corpus Christi Dance Collective, how do they go about, you know, joining classes and like becoming a part of it? Sure. So um they would just go to ccdancecollective.com. They can go to the classes page. We also have like an events page because there's classes that aren't like on a regular schedule that we'll add on. And like anytime I do an adult class or a class that's not on our regular schedule, it'll mm-hmm. always be on that special events page uh, and register there. We have like a no kid turn behind policy. So, or like turned away policy. So if dancers uh, can't, so we already have like a sliding scale tuition. So some folks are familiar with that model because like lots of different doctor's offices and places yeah. use it. Um, it's used in more than that, but I think that's where people most commonly encounter it. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically like in the mental health field, a lot of folks offer like a sliding scale um, fee. So for us, our tuition is sliding scale. So if you're registering wow. for like one day for one class a month, for instance, for a dancer, that's the recommended tuition is I think 25 to 55 a month for that. Wow. Uh, and so when parents fill out their registration forms, the last question it asks is, uh, what would you like your monthly contribution to be? Mm-hmm. And so they just pick any number between those two numbers. Wow. And they just pay what they feel like they can contribute. We don't ask for like proof of income or anything. Yeah. Cause like, I don't have time to sift through that mm-hmm. or the nuances. Like yep. I'm not the, the state department, you know, like yep. I'm not, here to like police who like everyone is deserving of dance education yes um and education in general so i don't really want to like go through like well do they could they pay more Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. how many kids do they like i'm i don't 
first of all, I don't want to do math ever. <laughs> uh, so not for me. Secondly, like, again, like it just doesn't matter. Yes. Uh, and the numbers will never actually reveal the f- full, like, you know, experience that people have exactly. financially in this, this exactly. health world. So <laughs> for me, it's just like, what do you want to contribute? We set that as your tuition every month set it and forget it. If you need to adjust it for any reason, just give us a call. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it is pretty accessible already in that regard. There are some dancers who are still going to have trouble because like everything's hard and everything's terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, And for whatever reason, whether it's because your parents refuse to pay for dance or because you cannot afford it, um, all they have to do is set up um, a parent-teacher conference and we'll work out you know, wow. the kinks of what scholarshiping could look like or if they want to develop partial payment um, because I just don't think anyone should not be able to yes. pursue dance. And, and so I will say, because I think it's important and folks ask about this all the time, that like, again, I don't think like dance is a privilege, but I do think that like my work is is actual labor and yes. <laughs> um, especially this year, it's been very difficult. So normally what enables us to like keep the program running is that um, we have those showcases. And so things like that, we also usually have like a birthday workshop. Mm-hmm. And so we have all of these choreographers, it's like a full day event every year on our birthday, which is April 1st. That was not deliberate, <laughs> just out that way. Uh, and so those are usually things that kind of help fill the gaps for dancers who might not be able to pay at the top of the scale mm-hmm. or might not be able to pay at all. This year has been difficult. So we've definitely had to like engage in fundraising. So there is like a fundraising page for Excellent. people to like contribute. Good to know. Good to Eventually, know. Like we will have to switch over to a nonprofit model Mm -hmm. to be able to like make it sustainable. Yes. But since when I opened, it was kind of like on a whim. uh, We're not there. (laughs) (laughs) And since I haven't been able to put in the legwork to make that happen, that's not where we're at. But that's definitely where we're moving towards. Excellent. Jenny, I mean, just hearing about your uh, vision behind the collective and how you wanted it to be it to be accessible to all kids just wow like i am in awe of you for like you you did that you know like this is something you truly believe in and like you put it out there and now so many kids are benefiting from this uh your collective like i am just blown away by you uh i want to thank you so much for being here with me tonight for for you know taking time during competition season to to talk with me uh i love your story i love everything you're doing and uh i just can't wait to see what happens next with the the collective thank you yeah yeah stay tuned i've got some cool stuff um coming out follow follow the kids on instagram and twitter and facebook and all of the things and that's at cc collective perfect uh yeah they're, they're doing some real cool stuff this year